Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping well in the world right now. Bonsoir, everybody. Matt Guy here. Hope everybody's doing spiffingly. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Never forget. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was going to drop that in at some point as well. Because we are here to discuss World Trade Centre, spelt incorrectly with an ER, which really (laughs) fucking winds me up. Um, I, I remember this film coming out. It was released in 2006, if I remember correctly. So it was released just under five years after the actual event. And I remember the reviews being mostly negative, so it never really appeals to me. And the only reason I'm watching it now is because, well, we have to. Um, Matt, do you remember this being released? Did you see it then? I mistook this for... Flight 93. Oh, so I thought I'd seen it, and then I hadn't. I thought that this was a film I thought I'd saw. Um, so um, I didn't like look into it because I was like, oh, I've already seen this, so this will just be a breeze to watch. Uh, it turns out I hadn't. Mm, and it wasn't. Uh, Stu? <laughs> Again, I, I had watched United 93 um, at the time. I didn't watch this at the time. And again, I hadn't seen it before either. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, it was just off-putting I found this one. but I think the problem was, I know we're going to talk about this behind the scenes, um, it did seem very kind of current (laughs) still. And uh, the the embers of the dead were still burning. And you think, well, surely you need to wait a little bit longer before you do this. But fair enough. Mm. It it, it did what it had to do at the time, I suppose. But, and I mean... I did go like full on into the whole thing, and I, I watched everything about it all. And I, I remember, I, I record, I've probably still got the VHS off that I recorded that day's news. I just whacked it in, it was a press record, and I don't even. I, it was a fresh one as well, a fresh bush. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I didn't have to put the. Uh, you know when you used to put this, like, you used to get a square of sellotape, like if you ran out yeah. of uh, VHS, but and put it over the tab because you'd already ripped it off. I don't have to do that with this one. This was fresh, fresh out of the cellophane. Put it in, still got it. I ain't got nothing to play it on, but I still got the, I remember that that still day. There. Yeah, it was still there. What kind <laughs> of what kind of night crawler shit is this? <laughs> <laughs> recording horrific events and, like, in live time. Well, it, it was it was one of them things. I thought I mainly did it because everyone else was at work, and so because I, I was a, a filthy student in sixth form at the time. I was just at home watching Crossroads when it happened. So uh, I was flicking bet- I was flicking between Crossroads and a documentary on crocodiles on Nat Geo. And so I flicked back and then it, Crossroads had been taken away. So for everyone, I mean, this was before internet, I remember. So I, I, I just remember, I just put it at a fresh video. I just put it in press record so mum could see it when she got home. That was the reason for it. The reason I kept recording and kept it later was from my own kind of sick reasons, but... Yeah, it was all good intentions. 
Mm. You're such an old man, Stu, watching <laughs> fucking Crossroads. You'd have been 18 in 2001 when this happened. What the hell? That's just... No. Yeah, it, it was the old Crossroads, the new Crossroads at the time. Oh, that makes up the fucking world a difference. Yeah, because the guy in the, in Crossroads should have been Bond. If you look at him, you look at him <laughs> at, at the time, I, I had this thing... Oh, I'm going to have to look his name up now. Crossroads. There's going to be some someone that we don't know, a fan that listens to this uh, podcast, that was looking forward to this episode as a piece of Americana. And then <laughs> we, five minutes to ten minutes in, we're talking about Crossroads. Apologise. Unbelievable. <laughs> List of Crossroads characters. Two things. Revival. Revival, see. Um, Julia Bircher was in this. Uh, where is he? Do you remember, yeah. Andy, where you were when you heard about 9-11? Yes. Um, I was coming back from college. I remember we... I was going to my girl, my college girlfriend uh, to her house and on the way to hers, we stopped off in like the local news agents. And I remember seeing on the front of the Express and Star um, what I thought was just like a picture from a Hollywood film being made. And then when we got back to her house and put the news on, and it was just like, fuck, it was just quite crazy. Mm, um, I remember coming back from school and it being on like the news and stuff. And just being like, what the hell is going on here? But I was too young, really, to understand what was going on. I think it had been in year year eight, I think. Right, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how much would that older? I'd been 12, 13 or something. Something like that, um, yeah. So kind of a bit too young to kind of comprehend what was going on, really. But oddly, um, I remember when uh, where I was when I heard that super milf princess diana had died <laughs> um i was really young then but i do remember it i was um I and he was incredibly it. horny as well i imagine yes, my first erection <laughs> he's not a bond looking for what's his name Stu? just so people who oh that's, that's not helpful you have to name. send it when this podcast goes out so people can <laughs> can see it sorry matt you, you were saying about, princess diana. about my first erection <laughs> um, no, no, I remember. I remember where I was when Princess Diana died. I remember where I was when uh, Michael Jackson died. Um, I was doing possibly, you know, like you, it wasn't quite like American Pie fucking a pie, but you know when you're like a young person and you just realise you're doing something really silly and just like you mm. look back at it now and cringe. I was playing multiplayer rock band. You know the you know like the Guitar Hero game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was also player two because I had the headset plugged into my um, pad, so I was like Britney Spears with the headset, singing and <laughs> playing the guitar at the same time. So I was, I was two players at the same time in the um, in the conservatory at my mum's house until I was rudely uh, interrupted by the fact that Michael Jackson had died. Incredible. I do feel like I mean <clears throat> I remember growing up. People always would say. You, you knew where you were when you heard that JFK died. And I feel like this is very much our generation's version of that, isn't it? The mm-hmm. the World Trade Towers is the one thing that I feel did genuinely shake the whole world. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was talking to someone at work about it today, and, you know, there are a, a vast amount of people in, in where I work that never knew airline travel before 9-11. Mm. You know what I mean? And there'll be people yeah. in ten, 10 years' time that never knew a life before 
the madness of COVID and, and all other things like the, these events that, okay, so COVID was a worldwide pandemic, obviously, but um, 9-11 relative to one country, but had ramifications absolutely everywhere. And, you know, mm. these, these, these events happened that people didn't know a life before it. It's mad. I mean, obviously, I've been to America quite recently. I would love to know if the TSA and the border checkers, I wonder if they've always been miserable cunts or if they were, they just started doing it after 9 11. Because they're the fucking worst. They do not crack a smile. Mm. Miserable bastards. It's not exactly a lie. It's not exactly. His name is Colin Wells. Look, there's even pictures of him like in Bond poses and everything. This this was a thing back in two thousand and one. I love how we've spent nine minutes talking about like the world changing, and Stu's just been googling some fucking gimmer off uh, crossroads. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. <clears throat> uh, getting back anyway to the film, the cast: Michael <laughs> Pena, fan of his work. I think he's good with comedy. He's good with drama, like Michael Pena. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Now. I noticed, I always say Maggie Gyllenhaal, but Jake Gyllenhaal. Hmm. I, I know they're related, but I always say them different ways around. Do we know what's actually correct with their names? I think it's Gyllenhaal. But looking at the spelling of it, it's probably, it's probably Gyllenhaal. Yeah, yeah, it has got a bit of a um, a Swedish bent to it, hasn't it, I imagine? Gyllenhaal, uh, I, I always thought it was Gyllenhaal. Hmm. But maybe, maybe that's it's too, too close to my mom's name, <laughs> um, but it, but it, that's the thing. Eh? Like some, like if you read it, Jill with a G, you'd say Gill. Mm-hmm. If you want English, so maybe this is one of them Anglo Anglo American things again. Quite possibly. Uh, we've also got Michael Shannon, arguably one of the best American character actors working. Uh, I, I think he's a little bit underserved in this film, but we'll get to that. Um, like, had I known that these were going to be Cage's co-stars, I think I probably wouldn't have waited as long as I did to have watched this film. And that's a, a decent cast, that is. Uh, also, it's directed by Oliver Stone, who I've, I've got to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I, I fear his work veers very much into self-indulgence for me. If you take away Platoon and Natural Born Killers, He's got a lot of historical biopics that just go on and on. We've got JFK, The Doors, Nixon, Alexander, W, Snowden, which is another Cage film we're going to have to do. Um, None of these are topics I would choose to watch, and those which I have are overlong and a bit dull. Um, Matt, obviously, Natural Born Killers, you're you're a big fan, but what do you think of Stone generally? Uh, Yeah... Sadly, you're, you're spot on, really. Um, I'd say that old adage of it, we spent more time thinking about the can we than thinking about the should we. <laughs> mm. And that's yeah. kind of where, where, where I lie with uh, Stone sometimes. Yeah. Stu, uh, have you got any other thoughts on Oliver Stone or are you pretty much in agreement? Just a bit nonplussed with it, really. I mean, it, 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 mm. He has no kind of effect on me either way. He ain't like Michael Bay, where it's absolute guaranteed day one, for for good or bad reasons. Um, it's just like okay, yeah, no, that's Fair. that's all it is. Fair. So IMDb describes this film as two Port Authority police officers become trapped under the rubble of the World Trade Center. 
Roll call working Tuesday, September 11. Color for the day is green. As always, protect yourselves, watch each other's backs. reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. Prepared for everything. But not this. Not for some of this size. There's no plan. Okay, listen up. We gotta evacuate the tower. Who's coming? Step forward. I got it, Sergeant. I'll go. Sergeant. All right. Follow me. Stay together. So I, I just described what the synopsis of this film: two port, two port authority officers become trapped under the rubble, and honestly, that is seventy-five percent of this film. <clears throat> Like that is pretty much everything that happens in this movie. Um, but anyway, so the film opens up in the New York Port Authority, a normal day with normal work things going on. A shadow creeps across the screen. Himeno, which is Michael Pena, looks up and sees a shadow of a plane across a building in Midtown Manhattan. In the Port Authority office sees the building shakes. We then see the officers watching the news where it is revealed that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. Sergeant McLaughlin, which is Cage, grabs a group of men, including Himeno, and they head down to the financial district to help out. On their way down, the police hear another, sorry, the other tower has been hit. McLaughlin confirms there is no contingency plan. This is just too big to have ever planned for. They arrive at the scene and there is just random pieces of paper flying around and hundreds of folks just running away on foot. The film cuts to live footage of someone jumping from the building. Can we just talk about that for a moment? We know that that happened that day, that the people felt the only course of action they had left to them was to take their own life. Is that acceptable to put in a Hollywood film? Yeah. I, I, because I've seen it, because we've seen it so many times and we watched it, live it's so kind of numb to me now that i didn't even think about it like when you said it when you when you mentioned it this being an issue i thought oh yeah okay and it was like okay that was part of the whole story of them things falling down in the first place that people were so fucked up that they had no choice but to jump out of a window knowing that they'll almost certainly be splatted on the floor so when it cut to it, and um, I thought up until seeing that, I thought it was done quite well. And obviously I looked and there was reasons why they didn't show certain things and, well, recreate certain things. But I thought, okay, mm-hmm. you've, everyone knows how these things fell down, how, what the impact was. You, you've seen it from multiple angles by this point. And I thought just showing the shadow across the, uh, across the buildings was quite a classy touch. And then when it cuts to live news feed stuff, it never even crossed my mind. I thought, okay, this, this is just this is just what happened, and they're just using real footage rather than recreating it for obvious reasons. So, from that point of view, I had no issue with it, and the fact that it's already out there and we've seen it so many times, I think maybe that's what it was that I was just I was just numb to it at this point, and that it mm-hmm. didn't bother me. 
Uh, yeah, because like, like you said, I'm okay with them showing the, the news footage from that day. It felt a little bit exploitative to show a man or woman literally falling to their death. Matt, have you got any thoughts on it? Because this film isn't a rooting, tooting piece of American propaganda, like I don't think this is leans too much into America the Beautiful and all that side of it. It's you know, it obviously paints the the, the servicemen in, in a certain way, which I don't think is a bad thing. But because I didn't think this was like um like a propaganda piece, I didn't think that it was cheapened by using that kind of footage. Um it was jarring in terms of the film. Mm-hmm. It was weird as fuck to have like CGI playing on this go past in a shadow and then cut to actual footage. It was weird as fuck from that point of view, but I didn't find it distasteful because I don't think this was a film that was there to serve as a America's the greatest country in the world kind of film. Mm. I think it veers into that, but we'll get into that in a bit because I yeah, do have some, the, some the, thoughts. The Marine and that. Mm, yeah. Uh, McLaughlin and his band of men rush into the building to help evacuate. Whilst inside the tower, they're in collapses. A few of the men manage to run into an elevator shaft for protection. Um, that's 20 minutes. How did we think about the opening of the film? I don't want to say we'll be excited because that, that's obviously not the right term. Were we enthralled? Were we grasped by the narrative that was going on what, what do you think matt uh, yeah i mean up to this point i was you know it it's hard because you obviously know the story or, or you know of it already i was concerned by the fact that the building had gone down and i still had another hour and 40 to go mm. i was like oh no this is not peaked it's not really the term i want to use but this is you know it's shot its load really quickly. Like, how are they going to drag this out for for an hour and forty? And I and I was justifiably worried, to be honest. Um, yeah. But up to that point, actually, you know, it it, it, it was fine. But it will tie into one of its greatest flaws a little later on. But the fact that all the dramas within the first twenty minutes. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm completely in agreement. I thought it was a really good start, but when you look at the clock and you realise you've still got a fuckload left, I'm like, I don't know how they're going to make a film out of this story. Stu, what are you thinking? Mm, similar. Um, not so much that I was worried about what the rest of the film was going to be. So I, I think we all, we talk about it a lot, don't we? About checking the checking the old watch, checking the clock. I didn't I didn't do that once in this whole film, but it did seem very fast considering you got things like uh, things about disasters and events like Titanic, which is three hours and the actual sinking of the ships, a minor irritant to the actual story in the film. (laughs) (laughs) And that's in the, what I mean, I ain't watched it for a long time. I'm guessing that's in the last 45 minutes, last hour of the film where the, the thing actually goes down. I can't remember. Um, and like Pearl Harbor as well. It's not actually about the actual event. It's about the, st- the characters and the story. So I kind of foolishly kind of went into this thinking, okay, we've got to get a bit of character development first. We've got to see a bit of their the families and their background and usual kind of disaster movie stuff. That's what I expected. So to, to have it none of that and to just go straight into it, I was quite shocked. And mm. not in a kind of 
like you two have said, kind of worried for the next hour or so. Just the fact that it was so quick, because we're not used to it. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair comment. Um, everyone in their group has died except for McLaughlin, Jimeno, and some other guy who only lasts about two minutes anyway. He leaves Cage's McLaughlin and Pena's Jimeno pinned down under the rubble, so they're not moving anywhere in this film. We get shots from around the world or people watching news reports about the incident. We see how McLaughlin and Jimeno's wives are also handling the situation, obviously scared and unknowing, watching the news and waiting for information. Elsewhere, we see Dave Carnes, former Marine, played by Michael Shannon, talking about how he thinks God is calling him to the Trade Towers to complete his mission. He talks about how America is now at war. The film flits back and forth between the World Trade Centres and the officers' families. Honestly, there's no real story to tell what's going on here. The families don't know what's going on. They're just waiting for news. The officers themselves are literally lying around waiting for the outside world to find them. There's nothing to discuss in a big portion of this movie. They try to pull on the heartstrings with him and his wife being pregnant. Like, yeah, it's sad, but it's kind of insignificant. We've had this world changing, this cataclysmic event. That feels like it should take precedent over one person's story. I don't know if I'm being a bit harsh there, but it just felt irrelevant to the the rest of the film here. Uh, uh, yeah, the the thing is, I think it, this is it, is making a conscious effort to not talk about the event, but talk about mm-hmm. the event on the lives of New Yorkers and and everybody around it. It's just not done well. Mm-hmm. Is the difference? I don't think it's a bad thing that they're talking about the individual people. But I just don't think it's done particularly well. Um, you know, the, it was like a parody of what we expect New Yorkers to be, almost in a way. Um, yeah. And that was a little like maybe it's just us as cynical Brits, but it was a slightly overwhelming. Hmm. Uh, I think. Well, well, we'll come on to it later. But the the fact that this was almost as authentic as it could possibly be, and was signed off by the actual real people that they're portraying. Kind of says everything that about it. I don't think it's just us being cynical. I think that's what they, well, at the time, definitely were like people like that. Um, but I, I do agree with you, Matt, more than more than the Mister Evil there. That this is about the people and not the not the event. And I think the fact that it's outlined in the description on IMDb that that is what it's about. It's about people trapped in the rubble rather than the events of the day. And they kind of hint at the Pentagon as well. We kind of have to, don't I really? But the fact that he's about the two characters rather than the actual thing, I think it doesn't really matter about all that other stuff. I think it's more of a, it is, well, kind of in a roundabout way. Like I, like I mentioned about the Titanic and Pearl Harbor and them kind of films, that it's about, it's about two characters in a wider thing that's happening around them rather than the actual thing around them. I think my problem is, is they're not interesting characters. Like, <laughs> Real like, people. Real people. Is, that, that, yeah, they are, but it's just not interesting. There's not enough there to hold a film together around two people who spend 90% of it lying there. The they're issue, just not the interesting is, enough. The issue is um, the most interesting characters die before Nick Cage and the other guy. 
like nothing is shocking in this film. Mm. Nothing is, you know, <sighs> the deaths happen way too early. If we'd have got like, if there was like four or five of them and then just before they escaped, some of the people died, we'd care more about them, but we don't know anything about half the characters that die. We don't get any, barely any dialogue. Um, that's the unfortunate thing. Like, you know, John Bernthal's uh, character, from what we know now in The Walking Dead and everything he's been in, The Punisher and everything, you're crying mm. out for him to have a good run in this film and then his death means something. But he has... he It means nothing that his character dies because we don't know anything about him. And, and then we're stuck for two hours of, of these characters trying not to fall asleep. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> That's yeah. the metaphor that I'm trying not to fall asleep. I've never felt so in tune with these characters in my life. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I've felt trapped under the weight of this film for, for mm. vast portions of it. Um, so it's, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. It was a it tough was. watch. Yeah. Carnes arrives at the financial district. The police just let him walk through their barricades because a random army man rocking up. Apparently he's just fine. Uh, the officers share stories with one another, trying to keep each other going as they lay there trapped. Building 7 begins to fall. The men accept their fate, but manage to escape without further damage. Right, that's an hour into this film. An hour. Like, we're halfway through. and There's still a lot to go, and nothing has happened yet, apart from the 20-minute mark. So, how are, we, how are we holding up at this point, Stu? Since I, I seem to be more positive about it than you two are, it was kind of very confusing. Like I, I didn't quite understand why it was made like it was, and like we like you said, it, you ex- you expect it to be padded at the start. I think because that's how we t- we we kind of taught that these mm-hmm. films are made that way. So you get the, the character development, and like you just said about John Berthold's character, we didn't know anything about him. He was just there. I thought, oh yeah, that's him, and then he's dead. <laughs> wow. But if we'd have had half hour beforehand, yeah, people might have moaned about it. But you get a bit of build up to what this actually means, rather than the kind of the weird flashbacks to like, finding out that his wife was pregnant and all that kind of stuff. Is that even mm. happened? Yeah, I can't remember. Um, I think why has it been done this way, and then kind of flat like put into how he's feeling now. To oh, this is a, a moment in his life where this happened as well. And it was like, oh, is is this a walk towards the light kind of thing? It was all a bit odd. It, it seemed, you know what? It seemed like an extended version of Casualty at times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you just talking then just reminded me of that saying about one death is a tragedy, a thousand deaths is a statistic, and that's how they made this film feel. They made these people feel like just numbers. And that's such a fucking disservice to the thousands of people who died that day. Matt, had you checked out at this point as well? Or was it just me? I hadn't checked out so much as I... I just stopped paying as vigorous attention. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? The the film was on. It went from I'm watching this film to I'm watching this film for the podcast. Mm. Yeah. That sums it up. For me, really. Absolutely. 
we get some more back and forth between the families and the officers. Half an hour of nothing. Khan's managed to somehow spot the guys. Like, so we're, we're nearing the end of this film now because literally fuck all happens for the last hour <laughs> until they find them. So I've got a question for you then. So this film was released on the 9th of August 2006, just under five years after. Is that long enough to have made this film? Should it have been given a little bit more time? I feel like it was a little bit rushed, if I'm being brutally honest. Stu, are you okay with under five years between actual events and this? What do you think? I mean, I don't care, obviously, about (laughs) the, the, the morals and the ways that Hollywood does these things. I think thinking at the time as a, as a as a youth that it seemed been bad taste more than anything else to bring it mm-hmm. out so quickly and more kind of half and half between yeah this doesn't seem right and the other being what is the point because it's literally just happened it's like when they remember when they were saying about there was going to be a Jamie Vardy film made and it's obviously never happened after Leicester won the Premier League it's yeah. never happened and now it's what Six years later, give that another four years at the ten year anniversary. I'd kind of be interested to watch it just to just to see when they were talking about it. I had no interest whatsoever because we watch it. We watch it in real time. We watch it live. We know how how things went. With this, it just seemed too soon for the fact that we we saw it ourselves. If if it was if it came out now and like we said at the start, people who weren't alive or I mean, I, mm. I spoke to someone one of my uh, American friends who was four when this happened. So yeah. <laughs> she doesn't remember it because she was a literally, she was literally a child. So if you brought that out, this out now, it would have more of an impact on another generation of people. And then you get the conversation between the ones who saw it originally. And you think, Oh yeah, it didn't happen quite like that, but yeah, it did. And you get a bit of, bit of discord around it. Whereas n- releasing it five years later in production, three years after it happened, you got to think, Mm-hmm. just seems a bit of a cash grab and a bit cynical. Yeah, very, very cynical. Matt, five years, is that long enough? Is that long enough ethically and is that long enough to actually make a film? Uh, I think all bets are off when Fahrenheit 9-11 is released because mm. when you allow... When Fahrenheit 9-11 is released, fantastic. I really enjoyed Fahrenheit 9-11. The floodgates have opened then to do whatever the fuck you like with it because you've got... It's back in the public conscience. It never went away, obviously. But now we make films about it. We're hypercritical. It's in the public eye, again, from a filmmaker point of view. So if everybody else is doing it, why not? Do you know what I mean? You go back to... If 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 there's if if there's an appetite for it, why aren't they going to do it? I suppose. And once Fahrenheit nine eleven had uh, had come around, the you know the genie's out of the lamp. Mm. That was two thousand four. So, right. What was what was that film about the um the plane that crashed in the river? Sully or whatever it was. Yeah, Sully. Um, that's the one. That that seemed. That was a news story that we all saw at the time. Again, saw at the time. And how far? How many years was that afterwards? It seemed really, like, really quickly. 
<laughs> and it's, it was in production later that day, wasn't it? It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a similar. Obviously, that was a, a good, a feel good story. Apparently, again, I didn't see the film because what is the point? Um, mm. But that seemed to be like another one of them things where, yeah, let's just make a film as soon as possible because it is an interesting story. You don't have to do these things. Yeah. Yeah, very much agree there. So that was 2016 that was released. Um, seven years later, so it was January 2009. So again, just like within the, the length of time it takes people to sneeze, it was in production <laughs> and ready to go. It seems a bit ridiculous. Uh, in this film, though, we get half an hour of digging through rubble. Eventually, they get them both out. They get reunited with their families. We see that the Marine Carnes is surrounded by the rubble at the end of the film. He's on the phone to someone and says, I'm not coming into work today. They're going to need some good men to avenge this. Which honestly just seemed a bit fucking weird, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> There's a party at the end where McLaughlin and Himeno, their families meet the real McLaughlin and Himeno at the party. I thought the fight, the firefighters digging through the rubble at the end, I, I thought that was really well done, to be honest. I thought that that was the beginning of the end of this film, I thought were well made. That's about it. What did you pair think of the the end? Matt, what are you thinking? Yeah. It, it, it needed to be, and it should have been a celebration of the service men and women that were involved in the, mm-hmm. the you know, the, the saving of the two, of the, of the two, police officers and it's a shame it took an hour and 40 minutes in between to get to that point um the ending exactly it was exactly what it needed to be um it was fine it was it was fine that's all i can say about it really Stu, i liked it i liked the end um i like the fact that it, it didn't look like they were just on a on a set with some foam painted like metal, yeah. it seemed like you could get tetanus from from catching your arm on something. And although it was really, really well, really, really well done, and like when they were passing the, passing the uh, the stretcher down, I remember the, the photos of that, and you think, okay, yeah, for us now, it's a it's a long time ago, but even then, like, yeah, this is a, a really this is a decent recreation of it, and again. It felt well, no, it was real, but it that it felt real, and I think that's all. That's the best compliment you can give something like this. And I think it, mm. it kind of really it should have just ended at that point. And I thought that would have been good. That would have been a nice way to finish it as as they're being passed over. And I think it, if that had ended there, I thought, yeah, okay, great, job mm. done. Fair. Uh, the budget on this one was a healthy sixty-five million dollars. Uh, to which the box office return was 163 million. Like, I'm, I'm not surprised, as we've said before in this, this podcast, 9 11 is in the public's consciousness at this very point. So, like, everyone who watched it live, they've got a good chance of watching this film. So, the fact that they've tripled their budget, I'm not at all surprised, to be perfectly honest. Um, it won a few lesser awards, shall we say. It won the Hollywood Film Awards, which I've never heard of. According to IMDb, uh, this is known for going to films with very little transparency to them and also to films that have yet to be released. Um, it is best described as, quote-unquote, vague, 
how they select the films to win the awards. Um, and it won, I think it was best film at that. So, okay, that speaks a lot. It also won the Yoga Award for Worst Foreign Film. The Yoga Awards are an ironic award group based in the Catalonian region. Um, it's kind of like the Razzies, but for Spain, so it seems. <laughs> the big award a winner for 2006's releases was The Departed, which won Best Picture, and Ernst Scorsese, his only Best Director, Gong. Um, also for Best Director that year, Paul Greengrass for United 93. Mm-hmm. So, what do you reckon the critical and fan responses are to this film? Stu, what are the scores here, do you reckon? I'd imagine pretty bad. <laughs> um, because, again, uh, everyone everyone's heard of this film. Everyone knows this film. Even it's silly spelling and whatever. But no one's got a good thing to say about it, really. Or if they if they've heard about it, they haven't seen <laughs> it. So, and the fact that you had a, a genuinely good film in United ninety three or ninety six, I can't remember what what was it ninety three ninety three yeah yeah that was a genuinely good film. Um, and for something of such a small amount of space as well to work in, I think yeah, superb. This not superb. So, if it's around 60, I'd be amazed for both. Matt, what do you reckon? Um, Part of me is thinking that uh, MAGA Americans are going to (laughs) be just loving it and then giving it, you know, I'll be stunned if it's got less than like 4.8 on Amazon, for example. Um, (laughs) Critically, I think it will score poorly, but so maybe about 30 to 40, but I think audience score will be in 60 to 70, I'd have thought, just based on the, you know, American trait of how we can't insult anything that's our own kind of way on an event so important in American history. Yeah. Um, Pretty much all three, so your IMDb and both Rotten Tomatoes are all six, so IMDb and the audience scores are 6.0 and 60%, so same. And the critical score was 66%. So it's all very much in the middle for, for these. Um, it, it probably is the most middling results I think we've seen of any film we've done. Uh, the critical response, we've got Deborah Ross from The Spectator. There are a few great shots, but still none of it says anything new. And it's just so sentimental. Stanley Kaufman from The New Republic, Stone has concentrated on one of the catastrophe stories that has fashioned him so well, with almost palpable physical detail and with performances that never sink to exploitation. Philip French from The Guardian, it's almost as if Stone wants to integrate himself with a mainstream public that rejected his historical blockbuster Alexander and win the approval of right-wing critics. I did notice on Rotten Tomatoes, the American reviewers were almost all positive and all of the non-American critics, they weren't entirely negative, but it felt like they were sort of giving it a pass because of the subject matter, almost. Unsurprisingly, Amazon.com gave it a good score with a 4.4 out of 5 with 82% 4 or 5 star reviews. 
I've got two one stars and a one five star review. Um, Eli Espinosa, boring script for movie lovers from the 90s. It's fiction. Oh, sorry, it is fiction based on a true story, but it does not mean that there is that it has to be very predictable. Tasha gave it five stars. Seeing this reminded me of being out in America when this happened and we were evacuated from Disney World as it was also a target. This would make you feel as though you were there that terrible day. No, it wouldn't. (laughs) And the final one-star review is from Michael Hill, who stated Epstein didn't kill himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there we go. Um, Good, bad and crazy, Stu. When the good up... It set the scene very well, um, and it, it was very well and very well done from a taste point of view. The recreations of anyway, um, I think the bad was the bad was just like like we've said. It went on that middle bit was way too long. It was way too casualty. It was there was no need for it to be constantly going back, and it, it was. You're opening. You skipped over it because it, it was cut back to them. One of them's falling asleep. Okay, make some noise. The other one's falling asleep. You make some noise. Oh, there's a bit of fire, and now the gun's going off. And that could that could have lasted twenty minutes. Yeah. If if they'd have used that twenty that that extra forty minutes at the start, maybe not forty minutes, maybe twenty twenty five minutes of development at the start, that would have been it. Would have made the film so much better. Because again, less is more sometimes, and especially in a film like this, where I think I'll go back to the good bit again. The good bit about it was the performances were superb. I thought from from them too, especially considering they were just sitting, well, lying down in rubble, and you could only really see their face and and part of the face at best. I thought they did as as well as they could possibly have been expected to. Um, and the crazy mm. was. I read something afterwards because I, I thought, how close is this? How close are they to the real people? And I thought that Michael Pena actually went and lived with the guy he was portraying. <laughs> and you think, well, you can't get much closer than that, can you? So, yeah. Fair fucks to him for for going the extra mile there. But yeah, it's a very, very odd film to score. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit. Matt, what have you got? So, my good, um, I felt the reactions of the majority of the cast members felt real and genuine and that's how they would be. I think we get this, you know, when, when humans are in a panic, sometimes the brain kicks in and people just become robots because that's a coping mechanism. And I think the the, the way that people's reactions are in this felt very real. I, I didn't think none of their performances were like jarring felt like it wouldn't have actually been how people would have reacted at the time. Um, the bad would have been, I thought we were veering off into taken Christian territory with the Jesus stuff. <laughs> like I was like, Oh no, please don't go down this route with it. And and I thought for a split second, we were going into <coughs> veering into too much about the God side of things. And I was like, don't do this to me. Like, this is tasteful at this point. Don't like shove an agenda down our throats now or anything about this. Um, and they're crazy, really. We, we have already mentioned it, but talking about like you know remembering where you were when it happened and everything else, I thought that the 
the real life footage that you see of the people running away from it was portrayed actually quite well in the footage that you see of the of the extras like running away and the terror that people were going through for, from that side of it. I thought it was done really well, but it, it's just a shame that again, all the good stuff in this film comes in the first twenty and the last ten. Mm-hmm. That's a shame. Yeah, it's one episode of a TV series. It's not mm. a film. Um, <clears throat> my good is actually also my crazy. So I'll start with the crazy. Um, New York City prohibited the recreation of 9-11, like completely understandably. They didn't want to allow any uh, depiction of any visible destruction or any chaos on their streets. The filmmakers and actors weren't even allowed to look upwards to where the towers would have been. Um, So I think the fact that they managed to recreate that and it actually looked quite good, I think that's fantastic. And and that's my good is that I think they did a really good job of recreating that that opening sequence is as good as most of the films we've watched like for this podcast. It was really good, and then it just died to death after that point. Uh, so the drive at the beginning from the Port Authority down towards it that was the only bit that they were actually allowed to film in New York City. Um, due to this, everything else was depicted. It was all filmed in Los Angeles. Which there are a few bits where, like, you can tell it's not quite New York, but I think they did a, a very good job of getting to as close as damn it, really. Um, I think the editing and the slow motion use with the shadows at the beginning, I thought that was done really well as well. So, when we see the shadow of the plane going across the building, it did evoke a reaction. I've got to be honest, I was a bit like, oh, fuck. like, could you imagine? of having actually been there that day. So I thought that was good. Like, it did evoke something. Um, It did give you that sense of despair and dread that the city would have been feeling in those opening segments, like you said, Matt, that when you see the people running away, you did get that sense, which I thought was great. The bad, though, is that that dread and despair almost immediately dissipates whenever Pena and Cage aren't on screen. Everything else felt like there was a little bit of an agenda of keep a strong American attitude and we'll get through the dark times. And the whole Michael Shannon character was just a little bit too rah-rah America for me that I just didn't like it. And ultimately, there's just no film here. Like, it's just visuals of a really terrible day in our history. Telling two men and their family stories, which with all due respect aren't even that interesting. There's just there's just nothing to explore in this movie, and it just felt like they made it because they wanted money. It it, it felt exploitative because there was nothing there to tell, so they pushed it out into the cinemas before everyone else could get near it. I just I just didn't like it. I think it felt like Oliver Stone was trying to be the first director to make a film about that day, and that was more important than actually just telling a film about that day. And the other bit that I wanted to mention as well, the Michael Shannon bit at the end, when he says that line about they'll need good men to get vengeance on this, it felt like they were setting up a sequel. Mm. Like, you can't do a sequel about this film, so why have you put this fucking teaser in for the next film in the in the trilogy? It was just weird. So, yeah, I, I felt it was a phantom turd of a movie. It gave you the motions and emotions of the day. But there was just no substance there, unfortunately. Um, 
Mass, did you enjoy the film? Uh, uh, <laughs> no. No, only on the basis that I I can't I can't bang the drum that, that there was only a good thirty minutes of it and then three quarters of it was tripe and then say I enjoyed it. So so no. No. Stu I didn't mind it. <laughs> I'd, I'd, it's one of them, would I watch it again now? Um, but at the same time, it was nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. And maybe that uh, that was because I'd built it up in my head because I'd never watched it at the time. And in the intervening years since I'd never watched it and I'd never had the desire to watch it. But yet, like when we started this two and a bit years ago, we think, well, we'll get round to it eventually. And this was one on that list where I thought... I'm actually quite looking forward to that, just to, out of curiosity, to see what it, what it's like. Um, so I, I did kind of, like I said earlier, I, I didn't look at the clock, even though that middle bit drags more than it should do. Yeah, there's, there is rah rah America in it, but that guy is a real person as well, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is incredible to know. Um, and yet. For like we said about how realistic it was, apparently the the real people who visited the set kind of had a small form of PTSD because <laughs> it was so realistic. So for its portrayal of things, I enjoyed it for that reason. I don't get why it exists, like we said, um, but still, I I enjoyed the two hours wherever it was watching it. I just did. It's not a good film, but I enjoyed it. Hmm. I mean, I I went to the Infinity Pools that that they stand there earlier this year, so I was kind of, I wasn't looking forward to it. That's obviously not the right term to say. I wanted to see this film to see a bit more of the whole, um, but unfortunately, that that's just nowhere near enough to say I enjoyed this film. It was one hundred and thirty minutes of nothing. There there just wasn't a film here. Um, I, it, it was just so empty. It didn't tell us anything about the wider world. It didn't tell us anything about why it happened. It didn't tell us anything about what happened afterwards. There was just nothing there. I felt like it was just a bad film that was badly written and badly directed. I just, I, I think Oliver Stone just shat the bed. You know what? If we, if you take away the take away, if this was made up, okay. If this mm-hmm. was if if this was purely fictional, and that the story was about the the two work friends, the two workmates, and this stuff in the background was just how they got there, and it was like that Ryan Reynolds film that we always talk about, that where he's actually playing Berry, not Ryan yeah. Reynolds. Yeah, would it change your opinion on it? Because it seems like everyone's got you've gone into the film thinking it's something that it's not. And this film is just, it's literally about two people. That's all, that's all it is. But it, all the other stuff is kind of on top of it to promote it. And it sells itself short from what is just a two person story. I think, I think I'm being generous to this film because it's nine eleven. I think if this wasn't about the incidents that day, and this was a fictional account of a space tower that fell down, I would hate it even more because there is no film here. There's just nothing. 
Matt, what do you think to that? Um, as a uh, as an, uh, a film just discussing the relationship between two people in peril, as opposed to the the the, the, the arcing story around it, um, I don't think enough happens in the scenes when they're 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 trying to keep each other alive that entices me enough. I'm there and watching it because of 9-11, not in spite of it, which it would be if you took it out. <laughs> Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, um, I don't think there's enough meat on the bone of the, that story between the two of them that's done well enough for me. Let's say they were just, you know, in a uh, in an earthquake. You know what I mean? It doesn't have anywhere near the appeal because we don't care enough about these characters because the stuff that we get their backstory and, and their exposition is, all, is, is really boringly done. We don't care mm. about them. We only care about them because we know they're police officers that went in to help people. We don't care about them because we are interested in their characters because their characters are boring as fuck. Mm. I think ultimately this, this would never have been made if it wasn't for the fact that it's that day. Like a, a studio wouldn't have greenlit it. And if they did greenlit it, they'd have fucking backgirled it before it hit the screens. <laughs> it would have been cool because it's just a terrible film. So, yeah, that, that's my answer anyway. Uh, wasn't it Cage good, though, Stu? Yeah, I, th- I thought he was really good. And his accent wasn't shit, which is a miracle. <laughs> yeah, th- th- I'd forgot to mention that was in my good. It's one of his best accents. Yeah, he's, mm. he actually did it properly. And I thought, yeah, he actually, he actually looked like a New York cop. I don't know how that happens, but... He's got the new New York cop, New York cop tash, and I thought yeah, I thought I thought both of them, but the two of them. But obviously, we don't care about Olga Pena in this. I thought them two were superb in this. It, for the for the what little I had to work with, I thought they stretched it to stretch it to not perfection, but they did a very good job. Matt, do you think? Uh, I didn't think he was. Unreal. I didn't think it was fantastic. He was no, um, oh Christ, what's the guy's name who plays uh, Winters in Band of Brothers? Well, you wouldn't know, Andy, but yeah, um, <laughs> lost on me. <laughs> yeah, it, um, I think he was fine. I think he was just about good, but he, he didn't blow me away. What was going to be one of my potential baddies? There's nobody in this cast that is irreplaceable as any of the characters. Anybody could have played anybody, and I don't think it would have made a bit of a difference to the film. Um, but I don't think Cage was bad, so yeah, I've got to put him as good, but he's about as bland as good gets. He's essentially vanilla yoghurt. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I can't knock anyone's acting. They're all as good as the script allows them to be, though. Like, I. You, he's good with a bad script rather than bad with a good script, I think. Mm. If, if he had something he could do with it and then he gave that performance, I'd probably say he was bad. But his character was lying there for 99% of a movie. That's as good as it's going to get from anybody, I think. So for me, I'll, I'm going to give him a good on this one. Uh, final question, finish the sentence. If you enjoyed World Trade Center, you may also like. Matt? Bit of a curveball, this one, um, but I don't know why, but it's literally the first thing that came to my head. But um, Letters from Iwo Jima. 
Okay. Um, because I think, you know, I don't think we're ever going to get a film from the Taliban side of this or Al Qaeda or whatever um, in regards to this. Yeah. But the, the 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 two the two films that uh, that you know played and, and Letters of Virginia being from the from the Japanese side of it was at the time felt like uh, felt like something I'd never seen before. I don't think I've ever seen it from the other side. And I think it was done quite tactfully and it's a film about honour and it's a film that I don't think, you know, we, we see that side of, we you know, the evil enemy to America very often. Um, and I think, you know, we're an enlightened country. We, we know that, like, the reasons why they went to Iraq and Afghanistan were deeply flawed. And, and, and now we know in 2021, I hate to say it was all, in vain now that the Taliban have now took over everything else again. And it's interesting to see from an American point of view, how they see the other side story. And that's what we get with um, letters for Imajima. Mm. Excellent choice. Stu, what have you got? I mean, you want to eleven film United 93, just go and watch that. It's better. Um, yeah. But it's not, it's not a film as such. It's, it's an episode of something is city of fire. From uh, from Thunderbird season one, and it's about a ta- a, a huge t- skyscraper that gets set fire from underneath, <laughs> and the only way they're going to get through. I mean, that you're talking about fucking puppets here, <laughs> but the, the, that episode, considering it was made in 1966, before the the towers are even built, and you've got. International rescue going in to save people by burning through steel doors and all this kind of thing. Even now, you go and watch that episode of Thunderbirds, and it is superb. For obviously, there's no tension because again, they're puppets. But for actual peril and something that's way ahead of its time, with this subject matter as well, it's a city. What is it? City of Fire and the Thompson Tower. It's a city in the sky. That's what it's it's deemed as, and it's way way ahead of this. So yeah, go and watch Thunderbirds. Just do it anyway. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I'd got. I mean, obviously, I, I thought about United ninety three, great film about this very subject that is infinitely better. But I wanted something that was a bit more celebratory of New York and New York people. Originally I thought about Do the Right Thing, the Spike Lee mm-hmm. film that we always mention on here, but I thought we've mentioned it so many times. So my recommendation is watch either Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, or Ghostbusters 2. I think Ghostbusters 2 especially, the scene where they're walking down through uh, through Times Square with um, Lady Liberty, like going through it, and it's just this celebration of New York, all the people lining out on the streets and, and the whole city coming together. Think of New York that way, not this way. Like, forget about that. Home Alone 2 and Ghostbusters 2 are like two reasons I love New York. That's why I've always wanted to go to New York. Um, so for me, fuck this. It's miserable. It's not good. <laughs> watch, watch something happy. Why not? Or Cloverfield. <laughs> Or Cloverfield. 
Uh, so that's another Nick Cage film in the record books. If you've seen this one or any of the others, get in contact. We're on the socials at Cage Fighting Pod or Gmail. Oh, sorry, Cage Fighting Pod at gmail.com on the emails. Um, obviously, because you're listening to us on whatever podcatcher, please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Um, if you could also leave us a review, we would love you forever for it. So finally for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Check in on your pals and have a great week ahead. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? You know, if since we didn't have people from Crossroads as Bond, can we have Dan Stevens as Bond next? So that would be great. Goodbye. I don't everyone. even know who that is. Yes, you do. Dan Who's Stevens. In- What's he yeah. been in? He's been in something that you would have seen. He's, he's in Denton Abbey. That's why I know him at the mini. It's on it's finished season two now. Um, can't get enough. Of I him. do not recognise him. No, no. The guest. I think I've seen the guest. Okay. Honestly, shoot, I don't know where you find these fucking weird <laughs> things from. It's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, it's goodbye from me and remember. Be excellent to each other.